This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, a show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be back with all of you today. Uh, I've been away on a little vacation, uh, got to uh, visit my daughter, who is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, doing a fellowship in sports neurology, and uh, got to spend some time off. And I guess that brings me to the first topic, is the importance of taking vacation. A lot of people think that not taking vacation is kind of a sign of, I don't know, toughness or how successful you are in terms of working a ridiculous schedule. And it's not healthy. It's not healthy because you'll find that the time you spend on what we call vacation is a time to regenerate. It's a time to really think about new things, new directions for your career, uh, your family, and to spend time with them. This is a healthy time, and it's important to work that into the schedule as much as it is important to work in meetings and all the other projects we do, whether it be at our home or part of our occupation. So it's important to take a block of time and enjoy a vacation and enjoy family, and it does really have implications for your overall health. So I highly recommend it. Um, this is going to be a great show today. We're live today. Um, the phone numbers, as always, uh, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. My studio guest today is going to be Dr. Cato Lorenzen. He's going to be in here, and we're going to be chatting about regenerative engineering now, I'm especially excited about this because Dr. Lorenzen is clearly the most distinguished guest we've ever had. Now, we've been on the air 10 years here, and his list of academic distinctions is second to none. And we're going to go over those when he's here. Um, he really comes at this from the standpoint of engineering, a chemical engineer, an MD, PhD, uh, did residency at Harvard. And he is part of the Musculoskeletal Institute at the University of Connecticut. And it's, it's really exciting research that we want to chat about that is going to have impact to everyone listening to this program. And I mean that sincerely. Everyone listening to this program will in some way be impacted by what we're going to talk about today. This day in medicine, August 25th, 1793, is the day Dr. Martin Heinrich Rathke was born. Dr. Rathke is a Polish pathologist. He was a Polish pathologist, physiologist, zoologist, anatomist. And he is most well known for the Rathke's pouch, which is an evagination at the roof of the developing mouth of an embryo. Now, that may not mean a lot to you, but it's that pouch that becomes the anterior portion of the pituitary gland. So those of you familiar with endocrinology and high school science, the pituitary gland is the master gland, key to the whole endocrine system. So we remember Dr. Rathke 
uh, for really his discovery, and uh, he was born in 1793. One of the topics I wanted to hit on today was heat-related illnesses. This is something we've chatted for a long time about on this program. We've had folks on from the Corey Stringer Institute at the University of Connecticut, where the cutting-edge research in this country is done on heat-related illnesses and heat stroke. Doug Casa has been our guest. Many people have been our guest. Heat stroke is a condition when the body reaches temperatures that are too high and organs begin to shut down. Your skin is your air conditioning. And when it gets that high, the body has to pump blood to the skin as fast as it can to start cooling. And when it's overwhelmed, the brain shuts down, kidneys shut down, and it's a catastrophe. What's unbelievable is we had that catastrophe happen on June 13th of this year. Jordan McNair, a 19-year-old football player at the University of Maryland, died on the field because of heat stroke. This is a sad situation because it represents a failure of sports medicine at so many levels. For example, standard of care is to have ice baths on the sideline during hot days. What we have are coolers filled with ice and and a tub. You know, one of those tubs you get over at Home Depot. Because the best way to treat heat stroke is to cool the patient as quickly as you can. They throw them right in the tub and start throwing ice on them. All of that failed in this young man's death. In the United States Army, if someone develops heat-related illness, heat stroke, in the desert, it is punishable by court-martial for the senior officer. That's amazing. But that's how serious we take it in the military, especially working in the desert. And yet, in college football, this was ignored. Um, There is still an investigation ongoing. The coach, the head coach, is, quote, suspended. Um, And the athletic training staff. But this speaks to a bigger issue in sports. And we've heard the term periodically this week of tribalism. It's an interesting term. Because we're hearing about it at Ohio State. We certainly heard about it at Michigan State, where everyone gathers around to protect the entity, the university, uh, a political party, whatever it is, an institution. And with that, they ignore the fact that a young man died or a woman was beaten in the case of Ohio State. So we're going through some really tough times in the area of sports And I'm hoping for the best that people are going to try to get a grip on what's really important here. Not winning, not making people tougher than they are. College sports is about developing young people, young leaders for this country. So again, we we remember that and hopefully many people have learned from that. One of the things we're hearing a lot about today is Senator John McCain. Senator McCain, I I won't have to reiterate all of his credits, but in July of last year, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor, glioblastoma multiforme. It is the most aggressive form of brain tumor, and one for which we have no effective treatment. As a neurologist, um, I have seen this time and again. 
and it's a very difficult tumor to treat. Uh, one of the ways is because surgically it's difficult to treat. You have to imagine, when you think of a tumor, we think of a ball. You think of a mass like a baseball or a softball. But that's not the case with GBM or glioblastoma multiform. Instead, it's a, it has finger-like projections that project into the brain. So it's so difficult to try and get and debulk a tumor like that. But more importantly, the chemotherapy regimens we have have not been effective in treating it. So what we're hearing today is Senator McCain has opted what sounds like for comfort measures or, or some palliative care. Uh, he's 81 years old, and we remember him. I, I, I think what I remember the most about Senator McCain uh, was really, and, and I think we're seeing it more now, is his kindness during his election against then-Senator Obama uh, when a woman came up to him and said uh, she had this disdain for Senator, who was then-Senator Obama because he was an Arab. And he stopped her right there and said, no, you're wrong, okay? He's an American. He's a family man. He just has a different opinion than I do. And that's something we're not seeing these days, that level of kindness, so again, in this uh, moment of great distress uh, for Senator McCain and his family, we remember them. Next up, we're going to be chatting with my guest here in the studio, Dr. Cato Lorenzen from the University of Connecticut. And we're going to be talking about regenerative engineering, something that's going to affect every listener to this program. The phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and one 800 966 9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. You're hearing the tunes of Five Seconds of Summer, uh, which is the band, a band that will be at Mohegan Sun this week. Uh, They will be there on uh, the 29th. Uh, followed the next day by Sugarland. So a lot going on at Mohegan Sun this week. And uh, unfortunately, I was there last week on, well, unfortunately, we, we lost in the playoffs. It was a one-game elimination on Thursday night, but the team did a great job for the WNBA, and they had an outstanding season. And we'll hope uh, hope springs eternal for a championship, but uh, a very, very competitive uh, team uh, overall. So if you can, get out to Mohegan Sun Um, You'll certainly enjoy yourself with the many restaurants and all the other activities going on there. It's my pleasure to welcome my guest today here in the studio, Dr. Cato Lorenzen. Dr. Lorenzen is an MD-PhD and is a professor of uh, orthopedic surgery at the University of Connecticut. He is only the eighth designated university professor in UConn's history. Um, He is a very distinguished and endowed professor of orthopedic surgery. Um, He directs the Raymond and Beverly Sackler Center at the University of Connecticut. He first got his degree in chemical engineering from Princeton and then his MD, magna cum laude, from Harvard Medical School, where he did uh, much of his training in Boston. Uh, He's consistently been one of America's top docs and 
more importantly, he's had multiple National Academy of Medicine awards, um, and including the National Medal of Technology and Innovation, which is really our, our nation's highest honor for technological achievement. Now, when someone gets all of these distinguished honors, I have to tell you, it's tempting to put it into cruise control. I mean, really, what else is there to accomplish? Uh, but not the case with my guest. Um, he has certainly not put it into cruise control and is constantly developing and pushing the envelope in terms of research to help patients uh, with orthopedic problems. Um, Dr. Lorenzen, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Um, let's chat a little bit. What, what drew you to orthopedics? From, from chemical engineering, um, what, what enticed you to, to get involved in orthopedic surgery? Well, you know, when I started uh, Harvard Medical School, I had to, you have to decide what you're going to do in terms of a residency program. And um, I just found, and I think that, you know, you, you've probably found the same thing. I just found that, uh, that musculoskeletal work and, and orthopedic surgery was just a lot of fun. I still remember the first... Uh, when I did my orthopedic surgery rotation, the uh, the team doctor for the uh, for the Patriots was a was a was one of the faculty members at Harvard and said, you know, we need someone to volunteer to come out with us to the to to Foxborough to take care of some of the new uh, some of the new recruits and, and do physicals. Anyone want to go? And I raised my hand and I said, "Is this a trick question?" And uh, <laughs> then after that, he said, well, you may have to you know, come back the next day, of course, and be on the field with me for the game. Is that okay? And I said, yes, I think that's okay. And, <laughs> um, and so I just really you know, loved orthopedic surgery from working with athletes on the field to the types of surgeries that we do. And, and, uh, and so it was, it's just a lot of fun. And so that, that, that made it easy to, to decide. Orthopedics has really risen um, to be really – among the most popular specialties now among young people. Um, why do you think that is? Other than the fact that you said it's fun. And, and I think people don't understand that as you're going through these rotations, you're attracted to things that you find are fun to do. And, and it's important to do that. Um, what's the attraction now for young people to orthopedic surgery? Well, you know, I think that, uh, well, first it is, I think that orthopedic surgery is probably the toughest residency program to get into in the country or one of the two or three in the in the country in terms of specialties. And I think that it's because it has something for everybody and it combines so many things. First, we take care of people who are one month old to up to 100 years old. And so it's a big range in, in terms of taking care of people. Um, the surgery that we do uh, is fantastic in terms of how we are able to really affect, affect people's lives. Um, the advent of minimally invasive types of procedures like arthroscopy, have really made a difference where we have where a person comes in and their lives are changed after you know, being in the operating room for one hour. Uh, but also we, you know, we're very holistic. We like to take care of patients in, uh, in a holistic way. And, and we try to find ways in which um, we can help people without, you know, without surgery. And so it, uh, it's really is a, uh, it's just a really, I, I feel very privileged to, to be in orthopedic surgery and to have made the decision to, to go in the specialty. And actually, what I find attractive is at the Musculoskeletal Institute. The Musculoskeletal Institute at the University of Connecticut is a multidisciplinary team where um, people from a lot of different specialties come together. Not just orthopedic surgery, but we have 
physiatry, we have rheumatology, and now neurology and sports neurology that, that I'm part of. And and I think that speaks a lot of a specialty when you could bring in other disciplines. Yeah, I, I, I you're absolutely right. And uh, just as a – I just want to give a brief shout-out for the Musculoskeletal Institute because – you know, there are lots of uh, groups of, of, of physicians and, and specialists who work in the area of, uh, of uh, musculoskeletal medicine. And this group really is the A-team of, that, of the field. Uh, if you look at um, the, the specialty areas such as, sports, such as sports medicine, the team doctors for the UConn Huskies um, that, that are there, if you look at the sports neurology that, that you lead and, and, and the great work that you're doing, um, we have a you know a fabulous physiatry team that's uh, doing uh, that does minimally invasive types of uh, injections and procedures that um, that really change people's lives all the way through in terms of the the staff in terms of spine and other areas. Uh, there really are are great, and I've sort of been around the country a lot of places, but this is really the A team in terms of uh, their ability to be able to to really uh, cre- you know carry out some you know, really effective uh, effective uh, treatments. Let's let's get into the specifics of what you're doing now. And and the term regenerative medicine is out there and regenerative engineering. Can you talk about those terms and what it all means when we think about regenerative engineering? Well, you know, regenerative medicine started about uh probably about about uh, 30 to 40 years ago and and it's really uh the use of um of different types of uh Technologies using drugs, biologics, and procedures that um, that uh, tr- that work to help to regenerate uh, types of tissues, and um, so about uh, five or six years ago, uh, I started to talk about the fact that we need to move in a little bit of a different direction in terms of thinking about how we can regenerate and and, and use methods to regenerate tissues, and uh, and the people in Science Magazine asked me to to think about this and, and write something on this. And I wrote a piece in Science Translational Medicine, which talked about the future of what we think about as regeneration as, as being this area that I call regenerative engineering. And regenerative engineering really looks at what we had, um, what we didn't have 30 or 40 years ago when we first started talking about regenerative medicine or tissue engineering, and bring those new things together and work in terms of integrating these new areas together to help us in terms of regeneration. And the new areas are advanced materials. We work in, in, in nanotechnology, uh, stem cell science, and what we've learned about stem cell science and how we can utilize uh, stem cells, uh, developmental biology, and how we can use the process that, of regeneration and development that takes place uh, primordially for, for, for regeneration. Um, physics, physical forces that, that we're understanding, how they can that play a role, and also clinical translation, how physicians actually – uh, uh, work to regenerate tissues and really integrating these together using engineering principles, integrating these together to allow us to regenerate different tissues. And so uh, that this is that new area that we call regenerative engineering. We've written a couple books about it and it's gotten um, some press in terms of the area, but we think this is what the future is in terms of being able to, to regenerate tissues. And so people understand. And when I said at the outset, and what I meant was that it's going to affect everyone listening to this program, is because we're specifically talking about 
primarily age-related problems. I mean, there are 20 million people in this country now with osteoarthritis, the arthritis you get when your joints wear out. Whether you're an athlete or a factory worker, we're all going to get that if we're lucky enough to live long enough to get it. And I think, you know, that seems to me is where this is going to have the most impact. Well, it's it's going to have an impact. It has an impact everywhere. So certainly when we think about older Americans, and I, and I don't, I don't like to say the word old because I don't know as time goes on, <laughs> my concept of age changes on a daily basis. But the thing is, I think in terms of older Americans, yes, uh, we know that, that people are living longer. They're actually more athletic than they were a generation before. Larger numbers of individuals are going on to having um, knee and hip replacements. And so looking for solutions that can actually treat these um, treat uh, issues in terms of arthritis and other issues are going to be important. However, this whole concept of regenerative engineering is also um, for individuals who are younger. We've worked to engineer, uh, for instance, the anterior cruciate ligament, the ACL, which is a, a, a big uh, athletic injury that uh, that can be devastating for people. And we've worked and utilized our technology to engineer an ACL for regeneration that's in, that's actually you know been implanted in Europe and in clinical trials. Um, and so we think there's a whole gamut of technologies that uh, can be useful using the this regenerative engineering to be able to um, to allow for healing and regeneration to occur. This is so exciting. We're going to be chatting a lot more in the next half hour with my guest, Dr. Cato Lorenzen. We're talking about regenerative engineering and how it applies to all our listeners. The phone number here is 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And we're chatting today with my guest, Dr. Cato Lorenzen. Dr. Lorenzen is an MD, PhD, and a distinguished professor at the University of Connecticut in orthopedic surgery. We're chatting about regenerative engineering. Dr. Lorenzen, I guess a couple of things that come up. Um, we're always hearing about stem cells, and we hear about platelet-rich plasma, PRP. Um, how do they play into the regenerative engineering? And I have to tell you that I I come at it from an angle. when When you hear the word stem cell, you get the idea in many cases there are people taking advantage of the public. I mean, there's legitimate stem cell research. And then there are guys out there hawking this in Mexico or wherever and, and promising great things and charging people who are fairly desperate for a lot of money to participate. So tell us about the real role of these of these approaches to treatment and how someone, our listeners know what's legitimate and what's not. Well, I think for, first of all, I think it's important that, uh, that anyone looking at these types of technologies uh, really has to, you know, they has to work, you have to work with people who are really knowledgeable, not just in terms of the clinical end, but also the scientific end. Um, because uh, you're right, there is a, a lot of fly by, you know, flying by night, uh, type of uh, arrangements that can that can happen. Um, are the, do these technologies have some efficacy? Yes, I do believe that they do. We've just completed a very large pu- publication where we looked at the literature on even on uh, PRP and platelet, you know, platelet-rich plasma, 
And the concept is that there are biological factors that are produced and that these factors can, can, can affect regeneration and healing. And there is some evidence that, uh, that it can happen. There have been some conflicting stories in terms of the literature, in terms of whether it works or not. And mainly it may be uh, due to the fact that the, the preparations, you know, again, they're prepared by hand. Um, and so, um, the differences in how people prepare them makes, you know, it could make a difference. Uh, whether it has uh, uh, white cell rich or white cell, cell poor, what kind of location, how it's administered makes a difference. But I think there is some efficacy that's there. We, um, on the other, on the other hand, I think that um, uh, uh, in the area of stem cell technologies, we think that there's some promise there. The big issue is that uh, these are these are not panaceas. They're not. They're not technologies that are useful for every area and every uh, and every uh, diagnosis. Um, I went to a stem cell institute in Florida and visited and found people being injected for with um, with uh, stem cells uh, and, and thought they might be able to treat be able to treat autism or be able to treat um, um, uh, other uh, other chronic uh, diseases like MS. And there's really no evidence in my mind in terms of looking at the literature that that, that stem cells can actually um, be useful for these types of treatments. And so it's really important that uh, that uh, uh, that the group that's uh, that one's working with is very knowledgeable in terms of the area. We do have an interest in the treatment of um, of uh, osteoarthritis and other areas using um, with using stem cells. And a lot of our work has actually been um, experimental with our, with animal studies, and we're we're seeing that there is some efficacy in terms of the use of of of, um, of stem cells in these areas. The interesting thing is that we, our our knowledge about stem cells has really evolved over time. We used to think that stem cells uh, go to an area, and then they differentiate, and they make more stuff. You know, they make more bone, they make more cartilage, they make more tissues. We now know that the stem cells mainly work by being in a location and secreting biological factors, and those factors actually change the environment to allow regeneration to occur. So it's not that the stem cell actually regenerates the tissue. The stem cell changes the environment to allow the immune environment to allow regeneration to occur. So we've had a great opportunity to be able to start work in this area in terms of develop this area for, for use. We're going to grab a quick question here. We have Anne from Kensington. Anne, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Uh, yes, um, with a complex back surgery, which would be the preferred, a neurosurgeon or a spine surgeon? Well, under the area of spine surgery, uh, spine surgeons are can be um, orthopedic surgeons or they can be neurosurgeons. And it really depends upon, right now, it depends upon the, the surgeon. Um, both are very, very well trained. I'm an orthopedic surgeon, so obviously I have a little bit of bias in terms of uh, 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 orthopedic surgery because I, I was the chairman of orthopedic surgery at the University of Virginia, and you know, and trained a lot of I've trained a lot of uh, surgeons who are orthopedic uh, spine surgeons. But you can find um, uh, great surgeons among uh, orthopedic surgeons and also neurosurgeons uh, at our musculoskeletal institute. We've got uh, some fantastic. Uh, um, orthopedic sur- orthopedic spine surgeons, Dr. Moss, who does fantastic work. Um, but it really depends upon finding that surgeon that you think is going to be able to do the best job by you. You know, one of the things you're also going to find, Anne, is that orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons often work together. 
uh, in complex surgeries. Uh, and uh, at, at the Musculoskeletal Institute, I know Dr. Bulsara also works with Dr. Moss, who's a neurosurgeon. So sometimes when it's really complex, um, they will operate together in some way. So uh, my recommendation would be to find some place, if it's that complex, where they have multiple disciplines coming together. Okay, and right. what kind of an outcome would you expect for somebody maybe in the early 70s? Well, it depends on the surgery. I mean, it, you really have to get into the particulars. Is it cervical spine, lumbar spine, what level, how many levels, what has to be done? So that's something you really have to talk to the surgeon about and what they would want. But it's not an age-related problem from the standpoint that if you're in good general health, it's not that this would preclude someone from surgery. So it's something that I think you should talk to a specialist about. Okay, thank you Thank so you. Much. Thanks for the call. Thank you. We're going to take a short break now because I want to get back and talk to Dr. Lorenzen about the use of amniotic tissue and how that's going to play a role in the field of regenerative engineering. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. We're entering the last segment, and my guest today is Dr. Cato Lorenzen. And Dr. Lorenzen, we were chatting a little bit about regenerative medicine, stem cells, and platelet-rich plasma. But the first time I heard about this was when I read an article in the Yukon Health Journal about uh, you using amniotic tissue uh, in the field of regenerative medicine. Can you explain what you mean by is it amniotic fluid? Is, is how how do you go about this and why? Right. Well, so we we've been. Uh, I also have a research laboratory, and for the last few years, we've been studying um, the use of amniotic tissue or amnion tissue. Now, this is in the the amniotic uh, sac, which which holds uh, the fetus and the baby as it's growing. That tissue, which is normally discarded. Um, is actually with obviously consent is then utilized in terms of um, and utilized for regeneration purposes. And what we've dis- what we found is that the this amniotic tissue has just a great storehouse of biological factors that work in regeneration. And it makes sense because a developing you know developing embryo actually or fetus ends up uh, ends up benefiting from that sort of tissue. So we've worked in terms of our laboratory to create systems. Um, that actually deliver it and, uh, for the treatment of, of of arthritis, and we found that there is a regenerative capacity of of this of this material, this amnion material, uh, for uh, for use. And now we've just started to utilize that in um, in humans, and we are now uh, able to utilize this this amnion tissue uh, as an injectable material that we can use for treatment in terms of treatment of osteoarthritis. So how do you do it? Okay, so you have the discarded amniotic tissue. You spin it down. You you treat it a certain way, I assume. Right. So now it's it's actually there's it's actually commercially available uh, where it's uh, the uh, the discarded tissue is uh, is uh, micronized into into particulate form, and which means that we can just add water to it and to um, and inject it in the area. 
Um, and again, the biological what we find are the biological factors that are there are these same potent biological factors allowing for regeneration to occur, and uh, you know in the in the amniotic area are the same or are also effective in terms of the knee joint area. There's also some evidence that the amnion itself may attract stem cells and may be attractive to stem cells. So you get sort of a, maybe a double a double punch where you have a uh, not only the biological factors making a difference, but also the fact that you're attracting stem cells into the area naturally. So we're now obviously we've done work with um, with stem cells and we've published a, a nice paper about using stem cells to help us with rotator cuff repair. Um, but we're turning to amnion because we think it's a bit simpler uh, in term for the patient. Where with the with our stem, with stem cell work, you have to harvest the stem cells from fat or bone, and you have to process it. But with this material, um, there's no processing of, in terms of you know harvesting your own tissue or anything of that sort. And we think it's a great way to to, to explore and to move forward with ways to regenerate tissue using this regenerative engineering approach, looking at sort of developmental biology type methods to be able to help regenerate tissues. What have your results been? Well, we've just started. Uh, if you look at the results in the literature uh, for humans, it's really it's so new that we don't have a lot, a ton of results that are that are that are there. And there are, frankly, some clinical trials that are actually just starting in, in terms of the area. However, um, uh, we've just started, so we're we're very and we're obviously following. We'll be following patients very very closely. The nice thing is that um, that the complications in terms of the injection are very very low. So it's a uh, sort of a non-bridge burning type of uh, situation where uh, where one can explore it, the technology, and it, at least in terms of what we know, that the that the complications are minimal or low in terms of possibilities. Are there studies going on at UConn? In other words, if someone's listening to this program and says, "Boy, I'd really like to try that," how would they go about doing it? Well, they can contact our office at eight six zero six seven nine four zero eight six. That's my clinical office and clinical research office, 867-679-4086. And right now we are following patients. We're not, we're not, we're, we're doing a, we're doing things prospectively where all the patients are actually receiving uh, amnion. Um, There is another, we're in discussions about a clinical trial uh, where we have a placebo control clinical trial, which means half the patients get actually water and the other half actually get the amnion. Most patients, uh, if they're coming to us, you know, for instance, if they come from from a long way, they don't want to have an option of getting water alone. They want to make sure that they're getting uh, the amnion. And so, the um, and so uh, for most of the patients that we've been talking to, in terms of the procedure, that uh, they're we're going forward with the amnion alone. You should have no trouble finding patients. I mean, there's so many people out there who are fairly desperate. But what's the cost? Well, the cost is because insurance doesn't cover it yet. Uh, the cost is about two thousand dollars per administration, um, and um, and so uh, which is a good amount. However, I think that if one looks at the possibilities in terms of uh, 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 down the line, I think in the next few years this may be something that may be approved by Medicare for reimbursement. But right now, it's not. Um, but you know, it, I think that he- that it's a, it's very interesting in terms of health. We think about uh, we think about the costs that we have in our daily living for what we do for clothes, what we do for travel, et cetera, and we and we we think about it as okay, this is the cost. This, I'll, I'll, I'll proceed. But when we think about our health and our future and our ability to be able to uh, uh, be mobile, we, we tend to sort of sometimes think about it in a different way. 
So um, while there is a cost to it, I think that the cost, and when we when we think about the benefit that's possibly there, the cost-benefit analysis, I think, is very positive. Is it a one-time treatment? Um, yes, we think it's a one-time because really? it uh, allows for that uh, regenerative process to take place. Uh, and so the the uh, these are these are one-time injections that take place for regeneration. What's next? I mean, you're right on the cutting edge there. I mean, which way is it going? Is this is this it? Is this where we're going in orthopedics or in medicine in general? Uh, I know you talked about regenerating anterior cruciate ligament. That's been going on. I know Harvard had a study um, where they started just having it regrow. And, and, uh, can you talk about other things that are coming down the pike over at MSI? Well, we announced about a year and a half ago um, our quest uh, to regenerate, to do some real grand challenge regeneration. And we announced the Hartford Engineering a Limb Project. And this is a project in which we um, want to regenerate a knee in seven years and an entire limb by 2030. Now, we announced it. Wait, um, I got to stop you there. <laughs> what do you mean? Regenerate a knee or regenerate we, a limb? We think that we have, uh, that we are gathering enough technology and gathering enough of this whole regenerative engineering methodology that we think we can do a grand, we can accomplish a grand challenge of regenerating a whole limb. Uh, we were very fortunate. Uh, I presented my my findings to the National Institutes of Health, uh, and uh, they awarded a uh, a pioneer award, an NIH pioneer award, um, to do it to start to work on it. Um, and um, we're we're using a number of different methodologies to make it to make it occur. We're also looking at, uh, again, how other uh, animals actually are able to regenerate a limb. So salamanders are able to regenerate a limb. So we've, we're actually growing salamanders in our laboratory right now and studying how they regenerate a limb and take what they're doing. And what we're finding is that, that some of the biological factors that the salamander makes um, can be used in humans. And we can perhaps utilize these biological factors to help us in terms of regenerate. But we have a number of methodologies, some supported by the Army right now, uh, in terms of our, our work uh, to regenerate a limb. I'm absolutely blown away. I mean, as someone who's involved in science, I never even, you know, that is such a reach. But you make it sound so plausible, and uh, that's that's just amazing to to just think about, um, and especially with the goal of 2030. I mean, that's only 12 years away. So it's phenomenal to think. And, and you know, I want to make a point here because I hear this a lot, uh, even on this station. You know, people are always griping about UConn, okay? Where's our tax – what are our tax dollars going toward? And and I think people – listeners should take a little bit of time to try and find out what really is going on at the University of Connecticut uh, because there is so much research. And a lot of the research Dr. Lorenzen is talking about in his research is funded from outside. It's not your tax dollars. But I think a lot of people take the University of Connecticut for granted from that standpoint. They think about it in terms of sports and not necessarily science and engineering. And uh, I really want to take this time to thank you, uh, not just for coming down here today and spending time with us, um, but for all your work and, and this phenomenally exciting research. And I hope we can get you back on um, in the near future to talk a little bit more about it. Great. I would love to. Thank you. 
Uh, thanks again to my guest today, Dr. Cato Lorenzen. Um, many thanks to our studio producer. Mike Olko has been on the board today. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next week, we're going to have a shortened show due to uh, football, but we're going to be talking a little bit about changes in Medicare. So if you're a Medicare recipient, you're going to want to listen next week because there are changes coming down the pike that you need to know about. Next up on WTIC is Garden Talk with Len. Please remember to help save lives. You can do that today by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Just go to www.registerme.org. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.